0: And welcome to Brunch with BBB podcast, featuring your hosts, Catherine Honeycutt and Luis Feliz of BBB serving Eastern North Carolina. <laughs>
1: We're so excited to be back with you all and, you know, having brunch, you know, I'll be honest, we're recording over Zoom. So I've got (laughs) Louise here, I've got our guest Michael from Nest, we're hanging out and, you know, it's just crazy times. We're all in different places. I'm in my spare bedroom. Michael, our special guest for today is of Nest Raleigh. So he's at the Nest. And Louise, you want to tell everyone where you're at?
0: Yes, amigos, what is going on? I am currently coming to you from my staircase. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my goodness. From you know, you staircase. just got to
0: pivot. You got to pivot. You got to pivot.
1: You got to pivot. Well, you know, what better way to start off brunch with someone from Nest, which is a co-working yes. space then, you know, we're all working from home. We're all trying to figure out how we can even get work done. So we're super excited to have Michael Hopgood with us. He is of Nest Raleigh, it's co-working space. We're gonna get into all of that. But most importantly, Michael, we have to know, what do you eat for brunch?
2: Well, I, I uh, well, typically I eat lunch for brunch. Um, <laughs> So uh, I, I like to eat, you know, most, pla- most places serve lunch around 10.30 or 11. They kind of open up and, and I try to get my lunch in early. So I have a longer swath of time um, in the day where I'm not, you know, stopping and starting uh, to eat. Right. Um, and that's just strategic. Also, because I, you know, um, you know, when you're when I was, you know, historically starting businesses, I didn't have much money. And I thought it was a smart thing to cut three meals down to two. And, oh uh, and, I, and it, just, it just, I felt like I got more mileage out of the uh, you know, the meals if I would have lunch at 10.30. Now, um, as I've you know, evolved and, um, um, you know- Adulted. Adulted, <laughs> uh, gotten married, That's had a funny. child, uh, you know, lots of work with uh, professionals who like to take a lunch of the day. Um, the, the brunch thing has kind of become more formal. And so if I had to, you know, on the days where I do uh, try to eat brunch, I like to go to a little place called Jerry's Grill. Um, it's kind of a uh, hole in the wall. Uh, the menu has uh, not changed in many, many years. It's, uh, you know, they'll make whatever you want, you know, and usually I like to get uh, egg, um, egg, cheese, uh, tomato, um, on and mayo on toast. And that's my
0: favorite brunch. Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh, I love it good. and very strategic yeah. In you know I love the financial aspect you threw in there like brunch is financial you know it can save you some money to you know make brunch your lunch cut out a meal very strategic I wish I had thought of that in college I love it
2: breakfast is always coffee it's mm-hmm. a homemade latte which is another okay. financial decision right you make your latte at home it's a- <laughs>
1: that's very true
2: I used to get the financial advice of you know you, you'd read all these articles that says you know if you want to save money stop going to Starbucks you
0: know literally and, um, yeah. it's like
2: well what's the alternative you're not going to have a quality of life that anyone would want to live so you, you <laughs> simply just you know you can save a lot of money by getting one of these little uh, latte makers at home and I, I mean I think I made the initial investment of like 400 uh, I had a coupon at Bed Bath & Beyond it was like a 500 dollar machine I think I got it like 400 400 like dollars or something and I I ran the uh ROI on this uh coffee machine and it paid for itself in something like you know four months and then so then of course my wife's like well make me one right and so really the ROI then was two months and then when people start coming over you know we meet at my my house a lot of times before we go uh, with the people that um work with me uh, before we kind of go about our day sometimes and Make lattes for those people, right? So, really, it essentially paid for itself in about a month's time. So, there's no excuse if you you should never have to give up coffee for financial reasons, just make it yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm so inspired. And I have to be honest, my financial structure consisted of a Keurig. So, what you have sounds way nicer. Mm -hmm. I was like, (laughs) let me get the hand me down Keurig and go for like the store brand coffee like i'm not even gonna i love duncan okay i'm not even gonna get the Dunkin' k-cups i'm gonna get the off-brand k-cups that then don't really fit in the machine and then it spills out everywhere just to save a buck so i kind of like your strategy a little better maybe put a little more money in on the front end but you're still gonna come out on yeah, top yeah.
2: In- invest in yourself there's nothing there's no harm in that
1: yeah i
0: love that yes Yes. Guys, let's dig in on who Michael is. Listen, before before all of this, I met Michael, I think, a year ago, and I was like, man, I love this guy. He was so personable. He has great customer service. My church and I, we did a staff meeting in his establishments, and he personally came out and greeted us. I was like, oh, man, I'm blown away. So, Michael, for our listeners that they so want to know about you, are you originally from North Carolina, first of all?
2: Uh, so absolutely well um, technically I was born in Florida um, and I was there for about two weeks Um, I was uh, adopted and I was sent to Durham North Carolina and um, that's where I grew up I spent a lot of time I my home was sort of towards the Hillsborough sort of line sort of you know out in the country yep my first one of my first jobs was at the Old Bull Stadium and um uh, you know, uh, my my parents owned a mechanic shop in downtown Durham. So, um, nice. you know, I, I was I was an urbanite before urbanite was cool in North Carolina, um, but also <laughs> had spent a little bit of time sort of out in the you know I'm doing air quotes here uh, country right you know but um, so I got to see sort of you know all that durham has to offer came to came to raleigh in 2007 to go to nc state and um really i felt like raleigh was actually getting to certain things be after durham like durham had kind of was kind of one step ahead of raleigh and i thought about going back to durham um but i stayed in raleigh because i was like hey raleigh you know, Durham's doing this stuff at the American Tobacco campus. They're doing this stuff with tech. They're doing this stuff with space. Like they got really cool restaurants and bars and venues. Um, you know, Raleigh's gonna have this soon. And you know, you know, people are like, "What are you talking about, kids? Sit down. Go get a job." So um, I stayed to prove a point, <laughs> and um, and uh, glad
0: I did. That's how
2: I wound up in Raleigh.
0: Man, that is awesome. And out of Durham, like you said, Durham has amazing restaurants, the scenery downtown, mm, breathtaking. So listen, for those of you, for those of us who don't know much about the Nest, can you explain to us what is a Nest
2: Raleigh? Yeah, so for, for those that don't know much about the industry of co-working, um, you know, you know, Nest Raleigh, we're, we're, you know, on a high level, you know, like a, you know, thousand foot view looking down. We're, we're a co-working space. We're an office where um, people can come in and rent a desk, they can rent an office, teams can work. You know, it, it's, we, we really are just a big commune for professionals, right? Um, professionals of all shapes and sizes right so really professional ones in suits and um, more less professional ones that are in t-shirts and everything in between so um, that's kind of what we are when we started out um, you know co-working used to be just for tech only so we were sort of the first ones in town to really um, venture into providing co-working spaces to all industries um, so you know we'll get into that I guess maybe a little bit later something through the yeah. discussion but um, you know that's at, at, at its at its highest, you know, you know, at its most simple, we're, we're co worker
0: Yeah. Out. So, what made you like? What inspired you to start this business? And is it a family business?
2: So the I'll start with the last part. The you know, is it a family business? Um, well, my immediate family. Well, I started it right. So um, yeah. Um, my wife is a kindergarten teacher. She it didn't start as a family business, but it has become a family business. Um, but not uh, by choice or by desire. Uh, my wife wishes it wasn't. She wasn't involved. With stuff, <laughs> she does a lot of the stuff that's not fun, you know, like the um, the billing and all that. She's very organized, and um, um, I'm more of an idea kind of. Guy. I'm a big idealist, you know. I yeah. you
0: know,
2: I, I want to see what what we can break and and figure out how to fix it right. Um, but, you know, he's incredibly organized and, you know, helps out with really the, the mundane, boring parts. Um, um, and you need that. I, you know, you can't do this all on your own, even though I try. Mm-hmm. And we do that out of necessity, just, you know, partly to keep the cost very low for our tenants. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not the smallest co-working space, but we're not big either. Um, and, you know, lots of co-working spaces have four, five, six people that do what the job that I do with the help of you know others and we have a lot of help it's not just my wife you know um Jim she helps us she's she she helps us open up and Samara and Chante and, um, and, and and there's just a bunch of people who sort of pick up a lot of the slack that um you know I, basically I'm honest with what I'm not good at uh and other people who say I can do that you know you let them do it yeah so, um, is it a family business well it's a lot of people have a lot invested in our success. Um, Mm. and you know, not necessarily, you know, but, but you know, the cool part is, is, you know, they're not the ones who are responsible if it doesn't work, you know, (laughs) they get get to have some of the benefits. So
0: what
2: inspired inspired me to start the business? Um, I mean, we, you know, I was in tech before we had an office over at um, HQ Raleigh, which is a great location. It's really a a good place to go if you're an, um, if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a business, especially on the tech side, I mean, it's, it's really structured around that type of, of need, right? Um, but at the time we built a business that was part tech and part service, so Luis, thank you for saying that. I was good with customer service because I've spent most of my <laughs> life waiting on people in one form or fashion or another. Right. And I thought, at that time, I kept bringing in uh, non-scalable tech companies to to HQ and I said here you know there are these these companies that are really interesting companies particularly design companies right um, and I said uh, you know you you would benefit from being in this co working space right and they would go and apply and then they would get the big rejection because they would say well you're not a scalable startup and keep in mind this was five years ago right so things were very different there was only mm-hmm. one co-working space, maybe a Regis. You know, we didn't have the WeWorks, we didn't have the industrious, we didn't have the WeWorks, we didn't have the Nest. So, um, you know, they had to be very selective and it's very important in certain communities to create communities that are are built around an idea, built around an identity, a certain group of people, a certain tribe, okay? Um, But, you know, at the same time, I kept bringing people in there and they just weren't, they weren't fits for the space. And, but they really wanted what coworking offers, which is community, which is um, accessibility to space, which is lower cost to operate, uh, lower barriers to entry. Most of these people were working out of their homes or in traditional real estate mm-hmm. that was boring, where they didn't like where they were, were at. Um, and, I, and I felt like they deserved to be in co-working too. So we were the first, so we started The Nest um, basically because there were no other options in town for non-tech companies, right? Not that we didn't accept tech companies, um, but we, we were saying we're open to all industries. We were the first to do that. And then shortly thereafter, every, you know, not not that's, I'm not taking, uh, I'm not saying they did it because of us, right? You know, I'm not saying we pioneered it and, uh, you know, they said, oh, look what the Nets did, let's copy. That's not how, it, that's not at all how it was. What it was, was they, it just wasn't the demand then. It. it, it there was nobody who stepped up to say we're going to work with all the industries. And right now, we represent right. a very large cross section of industries, and that has its own challenges. And how do you get people from different industries to feel like a work family? What do they have in common? So we have to operate very differently than um, than other. Co- Each coworking space has to operate uh, in in the best interest of their. I don't want to say the word tribe, but you know, but their tribe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. And you know, how long has Ness been in business? Like, I love all that what you guys represent in your mission and state and and vision. Um, and it took a long time, right, for this to for this idea to be put into practice. And how long have you guys been on the market already? Um, well, we've we've been open just a little over four years. Uh, the the initial
2: um, concept went from. Um, I mean, it, it was literally hours from you know, not knowing that we were gonna open, I was gonna be a part of opening a co-working space to uh, um, weeks, you know, before my, my house was, uh, so here, here's the story really is, um, you know, I had to, I was buying a house, my first home, which, mm-hmm. is, which was part of the deal with, you know, when I married my wife, when we got married, she was like, we're gonna get a house. And I said, okay. Yeah. Um, but I really wanna build this business too. And so um, you know, everybody knows that, you know, building businesses is a lot of risk, takes a lot of money and stuff. Well, I'd had a job, I'd been gainfully employed. And so um, when you go to get a loan on a home, they they, they check your taxes, they they see what you made the previous years and they say, Oh, well, you know, you're good, you know, and they said they said, you know, Mr. Hobgood, you're rather poor, but we'll give you at least this loan, right? And so um we had to rush, close, buy a house um, before going into business for ourselves. Also had to take a lease out on a giant building, right? At the same time of buying a home. So in a span of four days, I became responsible for a little over three and a half million dollars in debt. And I'm an anti-banking guy. I really don't like debt. So you can tell how cheap I am uh, with myself, not with others, but the way I deal with coffee and brunch. But um, so you can imagine someone like that also being responsible for millions of dollars. Right. And I carry anxiety, a lot worse than the average business person. I'm like the most anxious paranoid business guy you'll meet, which is a recipe <laughs> for disaster. Um, my, I, I have amassed more gray hair in the past four years than, than I have in all my life. So, oh, wow. um, so, you know, how long we've we been in business, you know, four years, it started very quickly um you know at the time um i was working at uh um i was really heavily involved had a great position at beta box labs and i naively thought that hey with with sean maroney who helped co-found the nest um who who did co-found the nest with me um we 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 built this place basically because we needed an office for our growing company right and i i was i remember um we were going to take the lease on a floor, and we're in this building. And one of the uh, other two companies that was going to be our roommates, they just I was like, "What happens if they fail? What if these roommates fail? We're left with the bill, you know." And I remember thinking, "Well, if we can actually build a legitimate co-working space to solve this problem that I see, no one's supporting all the industries, then." Um, It should theoretically be something that if we build it properly could outlast the company. So if all these companies that are starting this, this, these three companies, all of them fail. If we build it and diversify the portfolio of companies in the community, then the community could exist no matter what the success of the initial companies are. And so it was more of like a strategy of how you would diversify a portfolio of stocks. That's how we sort of looked at making the nest. and, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and, you, you know, if you're going to put the time and investment in it, you want it to be good. You don't want it to be bad. So, um, you know, quickly, we, we naively thought that I could run two businesses at once, um, and that was totally wrong. Uh, you know, um, couldn't be gone eight months out of the year and run a, and, and go and meet people out in front of the building and bring them in for their, their conference room rental, right? You couldn't have that quality of service that we wanted to have and also run a, a, you know, tech company. So we um, um, ultimately, I had to pick and choose, and you know, remember my, you know, I bet the farm on opening this place. So we had to, we had to step up and and be here and dedicate 110 percent of my time to to the nest. <clears throat> yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, I mean, just can't fail. You know, you just keep going. So that's awesome and um, a testament to you and yourself and your work ethic. And I think that's really cool that you saw that need in our community and you went after it and you tried to meet it. And so I want to dive in to co-working a little bit more. Um, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand it or don't understand all the complexities of it and that it's not just, you know, somewhere you go it's not just a Starbucks where you go get some work done it's different and and you designed the space with intentionality and purpose and so um, I guess to just kind of start out you've touched on it a lot but if you want to share the mission of Nest and kind of what like your your roots what would that be?
2: Um, Have you ever been to Cup of Joe Coffee?
1: Yes. I went to NC State as well and spent many times, especially the one right there on um what's the one near the movie
0: theater? Oh.
1: No, oh. the one near the movie theater. That's like oh. even
2: that's the That's the yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like super retro. I loved it. <laughs> Perfect.
2: Well that that's the that, so I'm I'm specifically referring to the one that's on Hillsborough Street. Yep. Um and and I remember so the nest and beta box labs, well the product from Betabox, which was the company I was working with before when we when we simultaneously started the Nest, um, and the Nest all were designed sitting inside of Cup of Joe Coffee every morning from about 6.30 in the morning to about 9.30. That was about 10. That was about the time frame that I had before I had to go to my other job, right? Um, to sort of create these, these, these ideas. And um, if, you're sit- if you're sitting in Cup of Joe, you know, you can't help but to wonder, um, no offense to Cup of Joe, but the coffee's over roasted. The place really is, has no coherence whatsoever in design. Everything is somewhat of an afterthought. It's, um, is, is it junky, but it's clean. You trust the people, but you know, the surface, service is what you get. And, um, you know, but there's something about walking in and there's that little corner desk where in the morning where, you know, you know the, the hairs on the back of your neck tell you that you're not welcome to sit there. Um, and after a few minutes, you realize that it's all old gray haired professors that come in and sit at this table. Right. And, <laughs> and it's there's like five seats at the table. And if you sit there long enough, you'll see about 20 different people sit at that table. Right. That's the regulars table. They know something, they're a part of something, and they could care less if the coffee's overroasted. They could care less about the service. They could care less about the decor. A brand spanking new coffee shop across the street could open with all the bells and whistles and big glass, and they wouldn't change, they, they, would, they, it, they wouldn't have the character and that special something um, that, that, you know, that Cup of Joe has. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to design these innovative spaces. I'm looking at pictures of precedent of glossy WeWorks and beautiful spaces where they've spent millions and millions of dollars, and we have very little. Thinking, how in the world can we build something to compete when we have so little? And you, you, you can get, you can give up. You can, you can do what most say and say, well, we can't, or you can say. Oh, I'm not fighting in that weight class. There's got to be other people who like Cup of Joe coffee, who, who who appreciate the atmosphere, appreciate the nostalgia, and the thing that Cup of Joe had that we didn't have when we started the Nest was they've been around for years. You know, they've been around so long that it had become a staple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had their cool, their their cups are noticeable and all that. But you know, it. But you 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 at least is inspiring to know that you don't have to have a great design. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have fancy furniture and people can still love you. They can still prefer you over, over everyone else. It's almost like the Rex and Goliath story. And it just so happened to be reading a bunch of Malcolm, um, or, um, um, Malcolm Gladwell books at the time. There was like Blink. There was, um, um, uh, uh David and Goliath. I said Rex and Goliath. That's a wine. David and Goliath, uh, <laughs> and then um, I make that I make that mess up all the time. Um, and and um, there was another one I think Blink. I might have already said that one. But anyways, um, all of those books are about intuition mm-hmm. and um, using your strengths um, and to to sort of uh, uh, overcome problems. And. I just, I just knew that if The Nest was gonna succeed, that we had to make it unique. We had to make it honest, um, thoroughly honest. We, you know, we don't hide anything. We're very 100%, 110% transparent. Um, we are focused on our people. And The Nest has always been a reflection of our members. And not ourselves and i even told myself i was like you know if we could i actually had this weird idea i wanted to make the nest not branded i I was trying to figure out a way to make it where it didn't have a name Hmm. um uh, you can't do that because the first thing you find out when you go to set your business up on google is they're like what is your name and you're like yeah i need a name right but you know you really these Co-working communities, I mean, it raises a it so weird, it's, it's exotic, it's, it's not exotic, but it's kind of a radical way to think about it. But why do we even need names? Why do we need, why do co-working spaces need to be marketed? Why, why do we have to have a brand? You know, we should just be a reflection of our, of our community, a reflection of our individuals. So I always thought that putting the brand second and putting the, the quality of the environment for the, um, the individual community members is, is paramount. But anyways, that's all stems from sitting there in Cup of Joe and saying, well, they exist, you know, and we were hoping that if I was worried that if I followed any current trends, because everybody's following the same trend, um, I'm going to get some flack for this one.
1: BBB has partnered with one of their accredited businesses, Indeed, to offer a limited time $200 sponsored job credit for new accounts. Indeed's research shows that sponsored jobs receive up to five times more clicks than non-sponsored jobs. And right now, Indeed has approximately 100 times the number of job seekers as it does job postings. Claiming the $200 sponsored job credit is easy. Just head to indeed.com forward slash partner forward slash BBB.
2: But um, I had a friend in college who used to say, um, and I was sort of a hipster. little bit of a hipster right and um influenced by the hipsterism and uh i had a friend tell me one time he goes you hipsters are all trying to be different in the same way Hmm. and i and i it it just it just it took me aback and i thought wow i was so proud to be just different but you just you just you just
1: ripped that away
2: (laughs) You <laughs> first my bubble you know and um no shade no shade on no shade on on, on your tribe right but um you know it, i'm sitting there i'm grappling with how are we going to go up against the big big guns how are we how are we this um mom and pop and we're a small local outfit who is self funding this and we don't have a bank to loan us a cent and just a little bit of credit cards how are we possibly going to <laughs> compete and um and that's when it dawned on me. That's what my friend had always said to me. You know, it, it was like, wait, all of all of our competitors are trying to be, and I'm using air quotes, different, in the same way. And yeah. so we really felt like we had that license to truly be different.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. And again, it's such a testament to. I mean, I think every business owner we meet that comes on here. You know, when they tell their story, we start to see just how their business reflects them, their morals, whether you intend to or not. I mean, you have created this space that, you know, it puts others first. And you mentioned you have a, a long line of, you know, service, being in the service industry, and Louise mentioned right off the bat that he recognized about you that he loved about you was, you know, just your customer service and that sort of thing. And so I love, I love when business owners come on to our podcast and share, you know, their background story and whether you realize it or not, we can see that your business is a reflection of the things that you hold so valuable. And I think that's what makes small businesses so authentic and makes Mm -hmm. people want to go there and you know you don't have to have the trendy thing or the glitz and the glam you know if you are authentic and you are you know who you say you are and you live up to that people are gonna love you for that and it's clear it's evident that you've done that with Nest and I just love your story. I think it's so cool that I was born out of Cup of Joe. It's hilarious. (laughs) I had very similar thoughts in college. I was like, is this what all the coffee shops look like? It's cool, but you know. And for some reason, you go back. Like with Cup of Joe. You you may think that the the decor is retro and the coffee may be a little over roasted, but you go back. Like you went every day (laughs) (laughs) until 10 o'clock. Cause you want to be there and you're like, yeah, this is my space. So I love that. And, um, we've talked a little bit the past couple weeks with you, but I want you to share with our listeners about what business has been like during this pandemic, how you guys have done the past couple months. And, um, we want to brag on you a little bit because we think you've handled it really well as far as oh, yes. you know, being there for your, um, Tenants, friends, yeah. colleagues, however you want to call them. I, I think they're all those things to you. And so um, just tell us a little bit about how that's been for you, because um, that's one of the main reasons we wanted to bring you on to the podcast is because we think you handled it so well, and we want other people to hear how you have how you've handled things. Uh,
2: well, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's it's it, it is it is a. Uh, To put it simply, it is survival. Um, Mm. You know, going into this, uh, first of all, back in January, uh, my wife—we'll talk about her again. um, She she teaches uh, Chinese young Chinese children online um, English, Mm. and and this is early January, and um, so that's an addition to being a kindergarten teacher and then um so i was kind of aware of what was going on in china before Mm -hmm. most before it kind of hit the news before people were looking at it and 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 remember earlier i said i'm just the most paranoid business person you'll ever meet right (laughs) and so um immediately started saying well you know they normally don't you know normally these things get contained they don't get they don't get out you know they don't spread that kind of stuff you know, let's hope it doesn't come here. But if it does, you know, make toilet paper, check, um, (laughs) you know, food, check, uh, you know, start you start running through the scenarios of how do you survive. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we did was um, understand very, very, at that time we were under the impression that the virus lived on surfaces for up to to 21 days. I think that was the original Mm -hmm. numbers. Um, And, um, you know, I was saying, you know, we need to make sure people have masks. We need to make sure that people have, um, we're sanitizing surfaces. We need to understand how this lives on surfaces. We understand how this travels to the air. And um, um, so we started I started a property management I had started a property management company sort of on the side of the nest to help other people consult, help other people who own co working spaces, um, Airbnbs, and Mm -hmm. people who want to build innovative businesses that relate to to space. And so I stopped all the consulting, all the services, and I opened up a service within Redbird that was for um, sanitizing office spaces. Because we understood, based on, based on what I understood from the virus at that time in January, there was, there was no way we were going to be able to afford to protect people. Like it, it would, we wouldn't have been able to, the cost of it exceeded um, the profit, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, if I'm having a hard time, if I've got to protect 120 people from this virus, right? Um, remember the, the shutdowns and stuff are mandated from above. There they come from people who don't want to take risk, right? But at the time you just you, you don't know if that's going to be the case. Okay, it's right. still early on. We're still in January. So, but what we could do is we could hedge against the virus. So if the virus got really really bad, well places that need to stay open will need to sanitize. They'll need to be made safe. So I went and I rushed, you know, basically started gearing up on supplies for cleaning. I wow. generated partnerships with cleaning companies to try to um, retrain them to be sanitizers and get that cost down to something that was affordable. Selfishly, I thought, well, if we can do this for everybody else, then it, and make, you know, if I could make $100 or $500 or $600 a day, and profit off of this, then I can spend that on protecting our people. The nest, so it was never intended mm-hmm. to make a profit right. and put in my pocket. It was a hedge to protect our community. Like it literally went and built another business to ensure that our community would be protected against this. And um, quickly realized that once everybody shut down, there's nowhere to sanitize. Right? Yeah. So and and then you you know as, as more and more information comes out, you have to make harder and harder decisions. And um, we from the very beginning somewhere around the end of February. Um, you know, we, the, the first decision we made was our, our cleaning, um, our guy who does all of our cleaning, been with us for years. Um, we love him dearly. Uh, he's, he's, he's got some, you know, breathing issues and things like that. And so before it was even known, you know, again, before people start getting going, getting laid off and doing everything and all that and safety measures come into place, we had already taken people that we knew, um, who were part of operating this building who were at risk and we sent them home and we paid them. Yeah, I mean, there's no PPP yet. Congress isn't even talking about it. Um, you know, the news is still caught up on some, you know, whatever political mumbo jumbo it is that day and the <laughs> problems aren't being fixed. Right. We're not coming up with real solutions to fix our problems and protect people. So, um, you know, now we go into March and the companies catch on to it. Right. And there's, you know, it was first, it was our, our, uh, 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 how do I say this in a Southern funny way? God bless our California companies. But they, um, you know, you know, the companies that are from California, they made some sweeping mandates. They were very much quick to shut down, but also that affected those of us in North Carolina. So if they had a team in North Carolina, they said, right. they were like, oh, you know, North Carolina doesn't have any cases, but we're shutting you down anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So we had lots of companies just say, we're gonna go on pause. People were thinking it could be a month, two, it could be three. And at that point, we hung our hat on protecting employees first. Now, Remember, this is before employees and the PPP, payment uh, protection plan, like that kind of stuff, um, this is before any of that talk was, was in people's heads. We said, you know what, if it comes down to your rent or saving your employees, save your employees first, right? Um, you know, let us take some of that heat with you. Let us share in that burden, because if you have to lay someone off, um, you're not going to need the seats. You're not going to need the seven person or eight person office. So long-term it's, it's in our best interest for us to keep you intact. Now, if you think that it's going to be three months, you know, you can, you can rally around and scrape things together. And we spent a lot of money. We, we had a lot of money saved up to go open up a new location. And we spent a lot of that protecting companies and, and helping them, you know, span the gap um, we spanned the gap with some companies um, for about two or three months. Finally, the PPPs came through for most of those companies, and that really did trickle down, in a way, mm-hmm. to save the nest. The nest was not the recipient of a PPP. Um, we didn't take any loans. Um, quite frankly, the banks wouldn't give us one. But, um, um, but you know, it, it didn't stop us from... We didn't go say, oh, well we, don't, we didn't get a bailout, so we can't bail you out. So we just we just took it on the chin for a little while. And um, again, hung our hats on uh, keeping the community together, and just um, you know, anyone who wanted needed to get out. You know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't take them down. We didn't uh, go after them. We didn't go back to the contract they but you said this." You know, I mean, like right. it's just a really special time, and the idea was, you know, my goal was to come out of the um, was to come out of the pandemic with no debt. Uh, not not take on, don't take on any more debt um mm-hmm. no enemies and no enemies. <laughs> We want to no debt no enemies right and so however we have to operate to do that that's what we've been doing um can can we go like we're going right, right now you know the way things are you know we could we could put put right along you know almost an infinity right mm-hmm. um we've got a very loyal group of people we've got people who aren't even using the office but they insist on paying to protect the community and i think everybody's kind of bought in that we have here now, you know, we shook some, we shook some um, leaves loose, so to speak. But uh, everyone that we have now, for the most part, is doing everything they can to um, be a part of the community, even though they may not want to be here physically here be right. to survive the community. And I think that that's a testament to. Um, it's because you know it's like it's like you know it's, it's, if Cup of Joe was like, hey, we need twenty dollars donation from everybody to stay open. People that don't even live in Raleigh anymore are gonna send twenty dollars, and um, I, you know, I really think that's that's why we're still here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So you literally saved your people, and in return, you know, now they're saving you. And I think that's awesome. It's a testament to your model um, and it's also a testament to your space a little bit because obviously you've kind of created this community beyond just the physical walls. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you design Nest? What were some key features that you said, yes, we have to put this in here? And um, how does that, you know, maybe even the intangible things, you know, what what were those things that you knew had to be part of this co-working space that you were building?
2: Yeah, um, how we design the nest. Again, We're I, I mean, I, I think being, I don't want to say this and then people who don't know us would immediately think, oh, these, these people are, you know, this is like the poorest co space in Raleigh. And it's not, that's not the case. That is not the case. I mean, we have, we have everything everyone else has. And yes, it
0: is not the case. It's
2: not the case. Right. But um, you know, but if, if you take me back to how we designed the space, right, it was, mm-hmm. it was definitely limited resources. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember getting a quote back uh, for uh, 30 uh, uh, it was like 30, 30 it was like $32,000 or something to, um, I wanted this like polished concrete floor. Yeah. All the space. I, it was beautiful. Right. I think I'd walked on one. I was like, this is what we got to have at the next. And I get, the, I get $32,000 quote back for that. And we had, we were at our budget. We, we had no more money left to really finish the project and we needed to open. And, um, so I looked up how do you, I looked up a, a concrete grinder. I thought, well, how hard could that be? How hard could you know, you know, ten thousand square feet of grinding concrete be? Oh
1: my goodness! I made a
2: grinder. It was twelve hundred dollars, and I put it on a credit card. It was all we had, um, maxed out the credit card to get this grinder. But it was the last real thing. I mean, we needed some furniture still, but we'll, we'll figure that out later. Don't worry. Um, um, but uh, we, so I got this grinder in about two weeks of grinding. Um, I didn't realize that uh, until about halfway through and I'm like sucking in all this, like I got like the, the gray lung from it. You know, I, I don't even breathe right now, I think. Oh but um, um, blood, sweat and lungs, I guess, you know. Um, but we, we gr- I grind this thing for two weeks to get this floor that we wanted. And um, then um, we polished it, well not polished it, but we put like, you know, a coating on it. And um, uh, I remember running out of time and we had ground up. There's this ugly green on the floor and I was grinding it up and I strategically left the yellow part of the floor not ground up because I said, well, if we run out of time, the yellow's kind of cool, but I know I don't want the green. But the yellow could suffice if we don't make our deadline. Well, the floor is yellow. (laughs) Uh, There's a big yellow chunk in the floor and it's just under the skylights. And um, and it just didn't look right next to the roughed up uh, concrete. So we just took the furniture and instead of covering the floor before we moved the furniture in, we left it uncovered and we let the construction company just damage it even more. And that gave a patina to the yellow that matched the rest of my handiwork.
1: Oh my goodness. So
2: how did we design it? Uh, Day by day, whatever we could get our hands on. I remember trying to get um, the the comment, we we get the most comments on a conference room table of all things. Hmm. um everyone likes this live edge conference room table and they're like thousands and thousands of dollars and i remember looking on etsy and i was like whoa ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars well we just all our money on this grinder you know so we got nothing <laughs> uh, we needed a conference room table how in the world could you rent a conference room without a conference room table yeah but um um so after i'd stole my big screen tv which wasn't that big from my house put it up in the conference room oh, we had a, we had to build a table we really needed a table and so um, I went and I searched for slabs, slab of uh, one, eight foot long slab was like 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Whoa, that's just, I need two of those. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. So I found what's called American Lumber Yards right on, Hill, on uh, Hillsborough Street across from the, um, it was across from the uh, fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and they had two giant slabs that are eight feet long. And I said, how much are these slabs? And they said, oh, about 150 bucks. So I said, I'll take them, right? And then <laughs> two slabs, we come back, we Google how do you uh, how do you cover how do you coat them in epoxy? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned then that epoxy is a very obnoxious thing to work with. So we no longer use epoxies, by the way. We use actual beeswax and oils and more natural products just because they're easier to handle and they're easier to refinish and People actually like that better than the epoxies. But at the time, that's what we used. So we built this table. And oh, probably once every week or two, depending on how busy our conference room you are, know, someone always says, you know, oh, can you make me one of these tables? I love this table, where'd you get this table? You know, and I you know, have to refrain from telling this, them this long drawn out story about how we didn't have anything, but we built this table. So um, again, it's, it's all these examples of, of, <laughs> of when your back's against the wall, you have to be creative. And this was not new. Um, you know, my work at Betabox was, was very much this. We mm-hmm. built these labs where we would take them to corporate companies and we would do design thinking um, events where we would help corporate companies solve problems.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's like, who the heck are we to solve problems? You know, you've got a corporate company with thousands of employees. What are sure. we, have, right? But our, our um, value was that we didn't know, we, we were naive, right? We didn't know right. what they knew. So we were kind of not jaded by mm-hmm. a lot of the, um, you know, we, we didn't think it, everything was possible to us, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't jaded. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like if I'd have been jaded at building a coworking space after looking at all the other spaces and all the glamorous photos, but had I not been sitting in a cup of joe, I probably would have given up. I probably would have been jaded. And so it's just a our, our space is a, is sort of, an example those examples Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over
1: again. I love that so much and just the idea of um, what you just said is that if you had sat in all those you know top of the line looking co-working spaces you would have thought I could never do this but sometimes your space can make you feel one way or the other it could make you feel like yes I can I could do this or um, or no I, there's no way I could ever achieve this I think that's such an interesting way to think about it and and a true reflection on your space can impact not only your emotion or maybe your work ethic but also your your end goal it could literally rip a, a dream that you have out from your hands so that's insane but you know I know we've got to wrap up soon but the last thing before um, you know we get into Details of the nest and, and how people can contact you and stuff. What is one thing, one piece of advice that you would give to maybe a local startup or an entrepreneur? Um, you've been through a lot, you have clearly, you know, you're still working hard, you're still grinding it out. And so what would be one piece of advice that you could pass along to them?
2: I actually spend a lot of time talking people out of renting space. Right? <laughs> Um, you, you, the biggest thing is people are very excited to get get an office, get a logo on the window, start their business, because it begins mm-hmm. to feel real. And it also creates a bit of accountability, you know, when you have bills to work. Sure. Right? And so on one hand, it can be the, great, you know, bills coming due is the greatest motivator to work. Um, but, you know, I do try to encourage people to spend less than they make. Um, try to be as frugal as possible. Mm-hmm. Try to just... Do everything you can to test an idea because it's going to change a dozen times before you get it right. And if you spend all your money and all your time on the wrong idea, you're done. Mm -hmm. You don't get a second shot. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that so much. And oh my gosh. If my husband hears this, he's going to be like, yes, I love that guy because he is so frugal too. And he's like, you don't need to spend that. Or I'll wake up one day and be like, this is my grand idea. And he's like, really? And then I wake up the next day and I have a new grand idea. And he's like, Well, what about yesterday? So I feel like I get that pep talk all the time from him. So Nathan, <laughs> if you're listening, I think I found your new best friend,
0: Michael. <laughs> it's just account- He's just there for accountability, you know? <laughs> Yes, for sure. That's so awesome, Michael. man. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, but before we wrap it up and just I'm so sad to to kind of close this session. <laughs> can we let our listeners know you know what type of spaces do you have at the nest, and how can business owners and just everyday people use your space yeah. at the nest?
2: um yeah, so uh it's it's really just look there look most of the spaces are little offices. Um, I'm sitting in one right now talking to you. Um, We provide the furniture, we provide plants, we provide rugs and all (laughs) the things that can make it awesome. They're essentially vanilla boxes when you get them, but we'll make them fit your needs or your workflow. So if you need a conference table in your office or a big screen TV or a big giant whiteboard, um, I'm an an architect by trade. We're going to make the place unique and work for you or your team. We have space for everything between one person up to 30 right? And everything in between. Um, we also work with companies that are growing. We try to save people a lot of money. Um, and the way we do that is we lower the barrier to entry for as little as a couple hundred bucks a month. You can have a desk. You can have access to the whole, you know, all the common areas, the co spaces, printing, uh, great internet, beer, kombucha, um, locally roasted coffee, all that fun stuff. Yes, uh, Anyone can afford it. Uh, do you need it? Uh, well that depends that's that's why you come in and we sort of decide and I'm the first to tell you if you don't need it um, <laughs> and we also make it where like with real estate it's always been a thing where you have to have money you have to be established you have to have um, good credit you have to you know there's a there's a like you know for a one to one to five person office you know the minimum investments like ten thousand dollars Plus, you got to sign a two-year deal or something like that and buy all this furniture. That's not the case anymore with co-working. You can you can get into an office as little as four hundred bucks, five hundred bucks a month, and um, you can come and go anytime you want. You, you can you can quit anytime.
0: So, how can everyday people just use your space?
2: <laughs> yeah, so. Um, you know if you need a conference room or if you need to do a podcast or if you need to, to do like a recording studio for videos we've got that kind of stuff if you need call rooms if you just want to come get out if you want to get out of your house get away from your kids family roommates um you can come use the space um, you know, we don't really sell day passes we've made memberships affordable um i mean our our base membership you can come in two days a week two days you, know, you come in two days a month, right? It's Twenty-five dollars a month. You prepay on the month. If you don't want to use it that month, you don't pay, right? And we, we weren't interested in selling day passes to people, single visitors. What we were interested in was allow like lowering the barrier to entry for people to try co working. And co working is a lot like um, uh, gyms, you know. People are interested in the idea like oh, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go sit in an office all day, you know. And um, um, a lot of people, you know if they have to commute a long ways, you have to deal with traffic or whatever, they don't They don't stick to it. And so we wanna make sure that people have the, uh, the ability to try the space, so we give a one month trial um, and we actually won't let you become a member until you trial for a month. And awesome. that's so
0: we don't take any money from anybody who didn't want a service. But you, how do you know until you try it, right? Right. So, yep. No, and, and for those of you who haven't been to The Nest, that conference room is so functional, super beautiful. And let's not even talk about the kitchen. The kitchen is just gorgeous, man. But um, for those listeners, Michael, where can they learn more about The Nest? you have a website, social media? The best way to get us is to go to nestraleigh.com and uh, um,
2: take you know, book a tour of the space. It's all automated, um, connects to my calendar. If I'm available, I'll give you a tour. If I'm not, it's not available on the calendar. It's pretty simple. <laughs> um, when you book your tour, it reminds you like three times, don't forget your tour today. Michael's waiting for you. And then, um, you know, you can see pictures of the space on there. Uh, you can see like our mission and um, um, yeah. And really the best way to,
0: to understand this is to just just uh, schedule a visit. Mm-hmm. That's great, that's great. Now we're just gonna wrap it up guys. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you for, you know, um, telling us about your business and the mission and vision of it. I love it so much. And Catherine, as always, my friend, it's good to have you.
1: Yes, it's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, so for all of our listeners, if you want more information on BBB, The Better Business Bureau, just visit BBB.org or follow us on social media at BBB Eastern NC. Mi amigos, this is it. Hasta luego. Chao. Thank you.